to a special edition of the Darden Admissions Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'm excited to share my recent conversation with Christian West. Christian is the Senior Director for Global Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion here at the Darden School, and he's also a member of our admissions team. I thought it would be fun to catch up with Christian to talk a little bit more about his background, what led him to Darden, why he's passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and so much more. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here's my interview with Christian West. Christian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Brett. I I appreciate it. Well, it's great to have you here. Um, How is your summer going so far? How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, Summer is going by too quickly. (laughs) Uh, We're sitting here uh, just after the the 4th of July holiday. I, I had the opportunity to get away from Charlottesville, went to Chicago uh, to celebrate the 4th, which was really nice. Uh, better weather there than here in Charlottesville. Um, but it, it's going well. I can't complain. This is a great time to be in Chicago. June, July, probably August too. Not too humid. You got the lake there. It's nice. I did a long walk along the lake, uh, went and got some deep dish pizza, uh, did a architecture boat tour of the, of the river. Um, it was wonderful. I've been on that boat tour like five times. Every time it's like the first time. I don't know why. I just, I just genuinely enjoy it. This was my second one. Uh, and I feel like I learned because there are different guides. I feel like I learned something new, um, every time. So, uh, I don't think I'll top five times, <laughs> Brett, but, uh, definitely we'll do it again. All right. Well, Christian, thank you for taking some time out of your day to for the podcast to come on and share a bit about your story. I'm excited to have you here. So let's you know, ask the most general question possible to start things off here. Who are you? Um, you know, what's your role here at the Darden School? Maybe take us through your background before Darden. Yeah, so um, my role here at the Darden School is, is a new one. Um, and I am uh, serving as the Senior Director of Admissions for Global Diversity, Equity, and uh, Inclusion. And uh, to my understanding, this role was created to really lead the strategy around uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion recruiting for the Office of Admissions. Uh, We have some team members here who directly support uh, specific populations. And uh, this role um, helps lead that team thinking about the overall strategy, uh, but at the same time, uh, thinking about training and development uh, for our staff as we seek to increase our, our competencies in the DEI area. Uh, so that's a little bit about my role. Um, happy to tell you about who, who I am. Um, and I think the best way to frame this would be telling you the story of my name uh, and how I got my name. And uh, that really rests with my grandparents. Uh, so I come from um, a large uh, immigrant multilingual family um, on my father's side, uh, my grandma, uh, Maria Francisca, immigrated here from Brazil um, as a young woman all by herself, uh, starting a new life here in America. And uh, she quickly met my grandfather, who also immigrated here, but from Haiti. Um, he was fleeing a, a regime change there. Um, and uh, growing up in their household in Northwest uh, Washington, DC, uh, that, has, uh, that house has some of my favorite memories. Um, one in a household that's speaking uh, Haitian Creole, Brazilian Portuguese, and English all at the same time. Uh, my, my first words were a jumble uh, of those three. <laughs> um, 
but also uh, my, my grandmother really served as like a home base uh, for uh, newly immigrated folks uh, to the U.S. Uh, from Brazil. So there was always um, a, a new uh, person around the house to, to greet. Uh, so uh, I quickly learned um, how to host people, welcome you, welcome them into your home, um, share with them uh, many of the different foods that my grandmother cooked. Um, on my mother's side, um, my grandfather uh, finds his roots uh, here in central Virginia. Um, so my family uh, is pretty much dispersed between uh, Charlottesville and the Northern Virginia area. And we have a really close connection to Arlington County, um, right where the Sands family grounds is. Um, one of my uh, great grandfathers um, helped uh, establish the, the burgeoning Arlington County um, as a newly emancipated, uh, formerly enslaved person uh, working in Freedman's Village, which is now the home of Arlington Cemetery. Uh, so just a th stone's throw uh, from Sands Family Grounds. And uh, we have a close connection to the Arlington uh, Black community there, um, helping found some of the churches and, and things like that. Um, my mother's mother, uh, my grandma Joyce, uh, is indigenous and uh, we're proudly uh, proud enrolled members of the Piscataway Kanoi people uh, whose ancestral lands are in what we now uh, call Southern Maryland. Um, and my grandmother grew up in, in Northeast uh, DC. So with that diverse background, uh, when it came time to choose a name, my parents thought, what is uh, a commonality amongst the four of my grandparents? And they were all Christian. Uh, that's how I got my name. I have not heard all of that information. I knew like bits and pieces, but just to have you put it together and kind of lay it out in that way is in incredible. Um, have you been to Brazil? Have you spent time there? Yeah, I've been there twice. Um, so as an undergraduate uh, here at the University of Virginia, I got a research grant, uh, one of the Harrison Undergraduate Research Awards uh, to go down to Brazil for two weeks. Um, I didn't put this in my grant application, but one of those weeks was for Carnival. Uh, so I got to have that experience, uh, that cultural experience, partying in, in Rio de Janeiro and meeting people from all around the world uh, who had come there for Carnival. Uh, the second uh, week of that was actually doing my research, which was on uh, the political participation of, of Afro-Brazilians, which I incorporated into my, my senior thesis uh, for undergrad. Um, I was recently there uh, for the Olympics in 2016. And that was a cool experience just because I got to see a totally different side of the city um, as they welcomed the world uh, to Rio de Janeiro. And uh, my Brazilian Portuguese has gotten a little shaky uh, over the past couple of years. I studied it uh, formally in undergraduate, which helped with my, my grammar and, and writing skills. Uh, but two days back in, back in Rio, uh, it all came back to me. Well, that's awesome. I had a little had an opportunity to spend a little bit of time in Brazil with some of our executive MBA students in the class of 2021 pre-pandemic. So November 2019, we were all in Brazil together and just for a week. But it is an incredible place. We were in Sao Paulo and Rio. And I mean, you realize what a vast country it is. So just to be in these two places, which are really kind of business capitals in the country, it makes you kind of whet your appetite to go back and, and to see more and to explore more, I guess. I felt like the World Cup gave me a sense of just the diversity of the place, but it just scratched the surface on, for my own travels. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping uh, both, both times that I went, I, I, was, I stayed in Rio, but I'm hoping to go back and make it up to uh, Salvador at least. 
All right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about your background. So you told your story, incredible family history overview and how that connects to your name. Um, you also have, have done a doctorate. Um, so tell us a little bit more uh, about your research interests. How did you decide to pursue that, that path? Yeah, so uh, I'm still doing a doctorate. I'm, I'm not quite done yet, Brett. We are all but dissertation at this point, uh, and I'm hoping to wrap up here soon. Uh, but my entire professional career has been in, in higher education. Uh, immediately after undergrad, I went to go work uh, for a small nonprofit um, education consulting firm that really gave me a breadth of exposure to uh, different universities, the way that they worked, uh, the way that they, different ways that they supported students, uh, public, private, large, small institutions. And that launched my uh, career initially in student affairs, uh, where I worked in residence life, student activities, fraternity and sorority life. Uh, I kind of became a generalist in that area, working at institutions in Ohio, um, upstate New York, Denver, and then most recently in, in Orange County, California. Um, and then I made my way into admissions uh, by coming back here uh, to UVA. Um, as I previously mentioned, I did undergraduate here. Um, one of my mentors uh, really wanted me to return back to my alma mater uh, and, and work in her office. Uh, so I got my start in admissions uh, in UVA's undergraduate admissions office, uh, working on their outreach team, which is a five person team dedicated to supporting uh, low income students, first generation uh, students um, and uh, students of color. And uh, that really piqued my interest in continuing my education. So I did a master's in higher ed uh, while I was working part time. Uh, and while completing that, uh, one of my faculty members thought, hey, you, you would be uh, really good for our, our doctorate program, our PhD program. And I, I, that imposter syndrome as a first generation college student started to come in and I thought, you know, uh, that's, that's only for the really smart people or I'm not ready uh, to pursue a PhD program. And at the same time, I was actually applying to MBA programs as well. Um, but I, I put my application in for the PhD program, uh, wrote my statement of interest, really trying to pursue um, and understand uh, student outcomes and their relationship to racial climate for students of color, uh, got accepted and, and went into the, the, the PhD program. Um, I initially started as a part-time student, uh, but realized terminal degree, I can't cut corners on this one, uh, working full-time and, and trying to pursue my coursework and research uh, was just not working out for me and transitioned into the PhD full-time. So um, I have a couple of pub publications out there um, really looking at uh, the context of racial climate at predominantly white institutions for students of color. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at a specific subset of institutions, institutions that have a relationship with slavery and how uh, students interpret that and how institutions might uh, go about uh, reconciling with that history. Um, so that's kind of my, been my line of research. Um, my dissertation uh, looks at the built environment and the architecture of institutions and how that creates this cultural landscape uh, that represents institutional values. Uh, so I'm curious how students uh, interpret and interact uh, with the architecture of different institutions and, and UVA is, is a great example of that. Well, how interesting to think about architecture as, as you know, part of, part of this representation part of, you know, obviously it's a, 
obvious part of the landscape. And um, how did you come to that idea of like, I want to look at, I want to look at buildings. I want to look at the grounds. I want to look at, you know, how they're representing uh, the institution. Yeah, so, so this uh, is really shaped by my undergraduate student experience. Um, my fourth year at UVA, I had the opportunity uh, to live in the academical village, kind of the original construction of the institution. Uh, so we call them lawn residents. Uh, and, and the original construction of the institution, uh, there were 10 pavilions, which are still standing, which were the faculty housing. And in between those were student rooms. Uh, and the university still maintains that tradition today. So my fourth year, I lived in, in the student room. Uh, and every morning I walked out to this classical architecture, uh, 1817 construction designed by uh, Thomas Jefferson. And I really thought about Jefferson's intention with that architecture and what he wanted to represent and signal to students. Um, it has these classical aspects that are harken back to the burgeoning democracy uh, of America uh, um, and its connection to uh, Greek and Roman approaches to democracy. Um, at the same time, um, it was an interesting experience for me in that um, it is a, a world heritage site. And I think the only world heritage site where people still live on a daily basis. Um, but at the same time, since the 1817 construction, aspects of that architecture have kind of trickled down into other aspects of American architecture. I'm thinking of growing up in DC, uh, the, the National Mall, um, but also everyday aspects. Uh, if you look at uh, post offices, court, po post offices, courthouses, um, plantation homes uh, here in central Virginia, um, they uh, have some of those same elements. Uh, so in one way, uh, I'm looking at this architecture and its representation of democracy in, the, in this place that I'm learning. Um, in another way, uh, it created some salience for me um, around uh, reference points regarding uh, plantations and enslaved labor and, and as a, a descendant of, of folks who were enslaved, um, there's this tension between that for me. Um, so I thought, you know, are others, is this salient for other students too? Are they seeing these reference points? And what my research is turning out is, is yes. Um, and it's influential to their student experience. Must be an interesting time to look at these questions at the University of Virginia, um, it, because of course you have the memorial to enslaved laborers that was unveiled uh, earlier, and obviously it's been part of the earlier this year, I should say, it's been part of the conversation um, in terms of the grounds of the university for for several years at this point. It's it, it's a huge structure, um, and then also I had the experience of going on a tour of the academical village with our executive MBA students and. I was once a prospective college student looking at the University of Virginia. And I remember that tour, like in a vague way. And I remember the tour that I went on just a few years ago. And the content of the tour was very different. The most recent tour made space for talking about the enslaved laborers at the university, where they lived, what their lives would have been like, the sort of the, the history of the university in a way that maybe that first, that I, I know that that first tour did not. And, it had to be interesting to kind of think about these questions, to look at them at the university at a time when the university, it feels like it's been, you know, reckoning with these things for, for a number of years. It feels like these conversations have really accelerated recently in some interesting ways. 
Yeah, Brett, I think we've come a long way um, in telling a fuller history uh, of the institution and all of the people who were integral to it, its building and, and early operations. Um, and, and it's one of the, the, the great things that I love about UVA. Uh, we're, we're not afraid to hold that mirror up and, and, and face some of those aspects of our history. I'll say, studying all, the, all of these institutions who are engaging in the same work, um, I would, UVA is ahead of the curve uh, when it comes to, to, to things like that. Well, it must be interesting to now be in this position where lurking, looking at diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, these kind of big questions for students who are coming into an MBA program, helping to recruit people. It's got to be interesting to kind of think about some of the things you've learned through your research, what you can bring to, the, to your efforts as part of the admissions team. Yeah, this position kind of sits in that perfect intersection of my research and my, my professional experience. Um, so spending time working in admissions before going into my PhD program, it's a functional area that I'm incredibly passionate about uh, because it, it touches so many different aspects of, of a student's experience. Uh, we get to meet these prospective students as they're beginning to engage with us and thinking about um, attending Darden for, for their MBA, MBA program or, or other business uh, degrees. Um, we get to usher them in and watch them matriculate and be a part of their, their growth and development and then re-engage with them as, as early uh, alumni. And um, that, that connection that, ha that it has with, with my research, uh, one of the things that I, I think critically about is how we represent and introduce the, the, the school to students. Um, what do we signal to them about uh, in what ways Darden can be inclusive of their personal and professional experience? Um, and how do we segment different recruiting opportunities so that students can meaning, meaningfully engage uh, with the communities that are, that are of interest uh, to them? Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a marriage of, of, two of two of my passions and I'm just grateful uh, to be able to do this work. Well, some of our listeners may have picked up on the fact that you were once a prospective MBA student. Um, and uh, what's it like to kind of be on the other side now, you know, <laughs> talking to people who are thinking about an MBA? Is that helpful to you to have had that experience? It, it is helpful because um, one of the things I, I tell students is, is engaging in this deep reflection about why they want to pursue an MBA and, and what they want to get out of their experience. And I think about the time that I was doing that uh, and why I thought an uh, MBA program would be a, a good fit for me and the particular schools that I was interested in. And uh, the different skills and competencies that I wanted to get out of an, an MBA program. Uh, and by having going, gone through that personal reflection myself, um, as students tell their story and talk about um, what they expect uh, out of their program or what they expect specifically out of the Darden experience, it helps me get, get a good gauge of, of where they are in their exploration and their reflection process. It helps me relate in um, a little bit, even though I didn't choose that path uh, for myself. Um, so yeah, that, that's been incredibly helpful, um, especially in my one-on-one -on -one conversations with students as I advise them um, about uh, Darden. It's a great point. And I think we've been hosting workshops. We've got a lot of webinars going right now. I think one of the running themes has been around self-reflection and introspection. And the more you can focus on yourself and what you want and what you want to get out of this experience, all that self-work is such an integral part 
through the application process, but also well before that, just even the research process. I think there's a tendency to like rush out the internet and start Googling and, you know, look at all these rankings and you can get caught up in all that stuff. And at some point at the end of the day, you're like, but does any of this actually mean anything to, to me, to me personally? Yeah, it's uh, choosing to, to pursue an MBA is a big decision. Uh, it's, a, it's a big financial cost. Uh, it's a big opportunity cost. And uh, to think that you're, you'll dedicate uh, uh, two years of your life, um, either full time or, or, or taking time uh, while, you're, while you're still working full time, uh, it's an incredible sacrifice. So I always encourage students to really do that deep reflection uh, beforehand to make sure that they're making an informed decision and that whatever program that they choose for themselves is really going to meet their expectations um, and align with the areas of growth uh, that they really perceive for themselves. Well, I know you, you're just getting settled in your role and kind of getting, getting up to speed on things, but I wonder what you might want prospective students to know about Darden's efforts around diversity, equity, and inclusion. We've had uh, the leaders of the DSA on, so Demario and Jen have been on the podcast. Uh, they are continuing the work that began in last year and obviously well before that with the DSA of making sure that all students feel you know, loved and included and all these kinds of things. It was great to have both of them on here kind of sharing their perspective and they have so much energy around, around these questions. But what, what do you want people to know about what Darden is doing in diversity, equity, and inclusion? Well, well one, I, I want to further just the, describe the team that we have here specifically with, within um, the Office of Admissions. So, so the broader global diversity, equity, and inclusion team focuses on a wide spectrum of, of different student communities, whether it's women, um, LGBTQ plus students, veterans, undergraduate students with our, our Future Year Scholars Program as a defer, deferred enrollment opportunity, international students, under, underrepresented racial minority students, uh, and, and many more. And by having staff members who spend considerable time dedicated to supporting these students' communities, I think we were able to have this targeted, targeted approach uh, to engagement activities where we can demonstrate Darden's experience and its applicability to, to those student experiences. And we can connect uh, prospective students with our current students who have uh, shared experiences or similar interests. And I think that segmentation or, or those targeted recruitment activities are incredibly important uh, because we talk a lot about the academic experience of Darden, the, the case method, the learning teams, the sections, uh, the different industry areas and, and concentrations that we have available. But there's this out-of-classroom out of experience that's, that is formative to a, to a student's MBA experience that I think are just as important. And students being able to identify and make connections uh, with, with their communities of interest um, early on in their exploration process helps students answer a lot of questions. Uh, for some students, it might be, am I safe? Um, and that is a very baseline question that I think students need to, 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 to affirmatively answer when they're considering a program. Um, others might be, other questions might be, are there students like me here? Um, because they might be curious to know if their perspective or their opinion will be welcomed in the community. Another might be, you know, if I choose to come here, what type of community can I build for myself? What types of relationships can I have? So the more that we're able to demonstrate to students, uh, we have those communities here at Darden. Uh, they are dynamic. Uh, they are, are vibrant. Uh, they are celebrated. 
um, I think the better st students will feel welcomed uh, and, and affirmed. Um, and I think that can play an influential role in one, them just choosing Darden, uh, but at the same time, really having a meaningful experience here. Why are you passionate about this work? Maybe this may seem an obvious question to our listeners and like, why is he asking this question? But I just want to make sure you have a chance to sort of talk about, you know, what's brought you to the work that you're doing here? Why, why are you so excited about it? Yeah, I mean, this is incredibly personal to me. Uh, uh, higher education institutions, commitment to access, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion is personal. Um, as, as a person of color, in, in many ways, a first-generation college student, a low-income student, um, it was UVA's institution-wide commitment to access that provided a transformational experience for me as, as an undergraduate student, as a master's student, and, and now as a doctoral student. Um, and I, I see how that has been life-changing, not only for me, but for my entire family. Um, I started out as a first-generation college student. Uh, my mother went to pursue uh, two bachelor's degrees. Uh, my sister uh, eventually went to college and is now a master's degree student. So by one institution providing that entry point for me, um, it had a, a generational impact. Um, and I think about the students who are coming to us uh, trying to pursue their MBA and who might come after them or uh, by uh, obtaining an MBA and, and pursuing their post-MBA career goal and what, uh, whatever industries of interest uh, they have, how that can make the business community better. Um, we here in admissions have the opportunity uh, to, to facilitate that. Um, and being a part of that, particularly for um, our, our marginalized and underrepresented students, um, it's the reason why I, I get up and come to work every day. Sort of in, in along those lines, I wonder if there are things that you're excited about that you're you're looking forward to in the in the months to come. This is you know we recorded this in July, as you noted, we're post four July holiday here, um, and things are really starting to pick up on the admissions front. You know we're getting ready to move into the fall, which is peak recruitment season. I, I wonder um, what 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 you're excited about. I'm excited to meet these students. Uh, I've been working with the admissions team since January in, in a wide, wide variety of different roles. And uh, having uh, had the opportunity to make some offer calls and uh, interact with students and advise their applications, particularly our, our round three students who came in this year. Um, I've met some of them over Zoom and I've exchanged a lot of emails, but I'm an extrovert and I'm a people person and I cannot wait uh, to meet this in incoming class in person. Um, I'm also excited for my very first first coffee. Um, I'm an, an avid uh, coffee drinker and the intersection of uh, me being an extrovert and a coffee drinker, uh, you will find me at, at first coffee every morning uh, to, to try and mill uh, about and see who's there and, and strike up some conversations. All right, well, let's stay with the coffee theme. You're at a you're at a coffee shop. We'll just say generic coffee shop. What's your go-to order? Oh man! All right, so I, I have to explain this one. Um, if it's if it's a splurge day, I'm going to get uh, a caramel macchiato uh, with almond milk, uh, lactose intolerant. Um, if it's a if it's an everyday coffee choice, straight up iced coffee, no sweetener, no milk. I appreciate the distinction. You know, some days are splurge <laughs> days, right? You got to know what you're going to order on the splurge day. You can't just go in there and improvise. So caramel macchiato, almond milk, or iced coffee. So not, not, the, high, not the hot coffee, iced coffee. 
I, iced coffee. It it'll it'll be December and freezing, and I'll probably still be drinking iced coffee. Where it has, you, it has twice the amount of caffeine in it. <laughs> where are you on the cold brew revolution? Are you are you are you pro cold brew? I am pro pro cold brew. I do not like the nitro cold brew though. It, it I I still haven't gravitated towards it. Um, and and to bring this full circle, I was uh, when I, while I was in Chicago, I went to the the Starbucks Reserve Roastery on on Magnificent Mile. Turns out it's the largest Starbucks in the world, four floors. Uh, and I did a nitro cold brew tasting, uh, and I didn't like any of them, unfortunately. Well, so I, I, I really want to like it. <laughs> we don't get a lot of mail, Christian, uh, at the podcast. We might get some mail about uh, the cold brew takes in this in this episode. <laughs> you, you never know. Um, I have a couple couple more questions for you. So um, this comes from. Uh, well, it's a mailbag of sorts. Uh, I just want to make sure that we have a chance to kind of discuss your, your hobbies and interests. Is it true that you are a karaoke champion? That is, that is true, Brett. Um, when I was living in Orange County, uh, California, which is where I'm, I'm, I was living right before I came back to Charlottesville, um, there is a network of bars out there uh, that host karaoke on a weekly basis. Uh, so just fun if, if you want to go out, spend some time with your friends, uh, singing, uh, leisure karaoke, uh, you can do that. Uh, at the same time, they host, uh, competitions. Uh, so you can compete to kind of be the champion of your home bar. Um, and if you win that, uh, you can compete in a regional competition. Uh, so I, I thought, you know, let's give it a shot. Uh, I'm pretty good with the, with the two thousands boy bands and some of the old school R and B songs, um, and, and did it. Uh, so I, I'm a reigning regional Orange County karaoke champ. Um, and unfortunately, I moved to Charlottesville, so I didn't have to defend my title. So still the champ. Still the champ. <laughs> Undefeated. <laughs> That's all. Details, details. All right. So it's karaoke night here at the podcast. What song are you going to perform? Uh, the, uh, okay. I'll, I'll do it by genre. Um, if I had to do uh, a 2000s boy band, it's going to be Backstreet Boys. I want it that way. That's always a crowd favorite. Um, if it's uh, a slow night and people are just chilling, hanging out, uh, sitting on the dock of the bay, it's, it's another good option. Um, if it's uh, something on uh, the top 40 right now, um, I might do a Megan Thee Stallion, uh, throw a little rap in there. Um, so it, it really depends, uh, you know, how I feel the vibe of the crowds and, you know, if, if they're really hyped up, we're, we're going to do a, a fast, uh, high energy song. Uh, if it's a really chill night, you know, we'll, we'll do some old school R&B. Spoken like a true karaoke champion. You got to feel, you got to feel the room. You got to take in the audience. <laughs> you can't just go up there and sing a song you want to sing. You got to sing a song yeah. that will go over well with the crowd. The, the real test is uh, when you just tell the DJ, pick something for me and you get up and do it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Can you tell us like a song? I, I mean, this is where my brain goes. Like I can imagine that could get really, really hard. What's like the biggest curveball you've ever been thrown in that scenario? So when, when I was competing in, in the regional competition, uh, there was a point where there was a wheel and you just had to spin the wheel and whatever song your wheel landed on, that's what you had to perform. Um, and, and I'm not a, a, a rock person. Um, I don't listen to, to that much rock. I can do some of the more popular songs. 
Um, but I had, I got Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, which I had never performed before and had only heard a couple of times. And uh, the, the way that I was out of breath at the end of that song, uh, I, I cannot describe. So um, that was a curveball, but I, I still won. <laughs> the level of difficulty on Bohemian Rhapsody is very, high, very, very high. And it's not a song you'd want to sing necessarily by yourself because there's all exactly. these call and response parts to the song. I've seen it sung many a karaoke night as a group. I would feel for the person that was up there trying to handle all of that and all of its vocal dynamics. We have Freddie Mercury famously multi-multi-octave range. Uh, so anybody who saw the movie Bohemian Rhapsody knows that he just had, I think, four-octave range. And so it's mm -hmm. incredible to hear what he's able to do. But woe unto the karaoke singer that spins a wheel and gets Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, it, it was quite the challenge, but uh, we managed. <laughs> All right. Well, Christian, on a more serious note, I wonder if you have a final piece of advice you'd like to share with, with our listeners here. Anything that you would encourage them to think as they start on their MBA journey? Yeah. One of, one of the things um, I've been thinking a lot about, particularly as we, we rounded out the evaluation period uh, for this year's cycle, is um, encouraging candidates to really be themselves. Um, in both the application process and, and the interview. Um, in, in a holistic uh, assessment for admission, which we have here at Darden, uh, the admission committee is most interested in, in understanding students' backgrounds, perspective, and, and aspirations. And our, our pinnacle question is, how will students use their Darden experience to better themselves and the business community? And I think by by applicants bringing their authentic self to the application and interview process and, and going back to that deep reflection that we talked about, um, really uh, representing that uh, throughout their application and interview. It helps us as, a, as an admission committee put together a class that's dynamic, diverse, um, and, and demonstrative of the wide variety of business experiences that are out there. Uh, we're not looking for a, a particular candidate. Uh, we're looking for uh, the candidates to really express uh, them, their best selves uh, in the application and interview so that we can really get to know them better and craft the best class that we can. It's great advice. I think there's a tendency for can candidates to try to be the people that they think we want them to be in the, in the application process, to, to focus too much on the audience and to remember, this is all about us trying to get to know you right? Um, you're doing your research, you're learning about Darden, but the best thing you can do is kind of make sure that your authentic self, your, your story, your narrative, who you're going to be in the community, that's all coming through in your application. If you're invited for an interview, in the interview, um, it's, it's hard to do, but if you, can, if you can do it, I think you'll feel really good about the application you put together. Yeah, yeah. Well, Christian, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you putting up with my karaoke diversion, but I thought it's it's rare that we have a karaoke champion, uh, undefeated karaoke champion here on the podcast. So <laughs> I wanted to make sure we made some time. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing more about your story. It's great catching up with you. Thanks, Brett. And that was my interview with Christian West, Senior Director for Global Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion here at the Darden School of Business. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at Darden, that's D-A-R-D-E-N, at virginia.edu. Until next time, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.